The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. Uh, we actually are doing a podcast version of the show this week. If you've been paying attention, uh, it's been a while since we've released this in podcast format because your wonderful host, Brett, has been an absolute screw-up when it comes to uh, <laughs> laying all these audio clips in Premiere, and it's been, a little, it's been a little bit of a rough ride getting this out of the stream phase of the show, but ideally... I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and be able to actually release this in podcast format. So if you're if you're a longtime listener only of the podcast, thank you for uh, staying patient enough for, to fix that. If you're watching live right now on stream, thank you to everybody who's watching. We've got about uh, a few hundred people uh, listening live to the stream version of the show, which you can find over in the Bootleg Football Podcast channel. Link down in the description below if you're a podcast listener. Uh, again, thank you everybody for showing up and for listening. We are going to be recapping all four division round games. Uh, some of them were really damn good. Some of them were really damn scary, and we'll get into that in a second. And then we'll go into the championship previews. Uh, we got two phenomenal games that I think kind of everybody saw coming about midway through the season. Can't wait for those. But before we do, EJ, buddy, how you doing? What are you drinking? I'm good. We got football to talk about. We are back on the live stream. It's always a good time. Happy to see everybody here. Big shout out to, again, all those podcast listeners who have been so patient with us as we have screwed up our audio issues. But also a big shout out, as always, to our international folks, people checking in from Germany, from Ireland, from all over Asia. Um, That always, always just humbles me greatly. Um, another thing that humbles me greatly, beer. Uh, this is Bowie beer from Astoria, Oregon. It is the Dunkel Lager. Um, it's fantastic stuff uh, from right down the coast, just over the state line into Oregon. If you've never been to Astoria, it's right where the Columbia hits the Pacific. Um, pretty nice town, and this is great beer. So enjoying a Bowie tonight. And yeah, want to talk a little bit about divisional games and a lot about championship matchups because some of the things that we said on last week's stream came true, some didn't. Uh, we definitely want to talk about those and the things that didn't happen as expected. Um, but really looking forward to what is what are two premier quarterback matchups. And that is just good for football. I, I 
If you're a Bills fan and you hate Brady because he's been stepping on your head for the last 20 years, I get it. But he's playing very good football right now. None of these teams backed into the playoffs. Um, they're all on hot streaks right now, and they all get to play each other. And as an NFL football fan, if your team, like my team, has been eliminated and you're just watching because you really like football, you're going to get to see some hellaciously good football. You're going to get to see the young guns go against each other in Mahomes and Allen. And then you're going to get to see the sort of graybeard revival with Brady and Rodgers going at it. Um, and that's just great stuff. So I'm excited about the show. What do you drink? Well, you're drinking coffee, you said. Yeah, I uh, I have a long night of editing ahead of me because I have a Bills Film Room episode that I'm going to be releasing tomorrow, Friday morning, uh, or at least, well, I'm on the West Coast, so my morning is midday for you East Coasters, <laughs> but, which, I, by the way, I get a lot of comments every single week, Brett, you said, you know, 9 a.m., what are you talking, it's it's noon, and I'm I've been waiting, time. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, I, I get it all the time, I get, I have a lot of people that, follow from the East Coast and don't understand that I'm asleep when you guys wake up. So you guys need to chill a little bit. You're It'll asleep. be out when it's out. You're I asleep promise. when they eat lunch, but yeah, <laughs> but they, uh, it'll be out tomorrow at some point, And then, uh, that'll be on the bills and chiefs matchup. Uh, but before we get into that bills and chiefs game, we have several division matchups to recap. Why don't we start with that bills, uh, Ravens game? Cause it kind of went a lot differently than I expected. I, I, I thought there was going to be a lot of points on the board, personally. Um, just kind of looking at the Ravens' run game matching up against uh, a Bills' run defense that has been very hit or miss, uh, even within the same game. You know, they were very, very good in the first half of the Colts game the week before and then gave up 100 yards rushing in the second half alone against Indy. So it, even within series to series, that run defense has been very inconsistent. And I thought uh, the Ravens would have been able to run a lot more successfully than they did. Obviously, Lamar getting hurt and missing the entire fourth quarter uh, probably took them out of the game, and they never really had a chance to come back. As much as we love Tyler Huntley, that was not going to happen. The pick six was probably the turning point in the game, too, which was just a great play from Taron Johnson. Uh, Overall, much lower scoring game than I expected, more of a defensive battle than I expected, but still, at least to me, very entertaining nonetheless. Yeah, it was a great game, and it did go differently than we talked about uh, how we thought it was going to go on last week's stream. We were both extremely worried about the Bills' run defense because the second half against Indianapolis, they got gashed repeatedly. We brought that up, and here come the Ravens to town with one of, if not the best running games in the NFL. So that was a, a point of emphasis. And to Baltimore's credit, they did rip off a couple early runs, and I'm sure a lot of Bills fans were like, oh no, here we go. The Gus bus was moving. But then the Bills defense tightened up and really started to stymie that, which is what any football team wants to do against any other football team's strength, right? Oh, you're really good at running? We're going to make you not run and see what you can do. You're going to have to beat us doing your second best thing. And the turning point in this game was the Ravens' inability uh, with their lack of wide receivers and, quite frankly, Greg Roman's lack of flexibility And I had said this on last week's uh, live stream, podcast, whatever you want to call it. Look, Greg Roman does not have a club in his bag for down by 14. It just doesn't exist. And once the Bills got a big play and continued to work their offense, 
Baltimore wasn't going to come back from that uh, because the Bills' run defense had bucked up, taken away their main strength, and they were unable to shift and adjust and throw. They just couldn't do it. Their receivers can't separate. They need an alpha wide receiver worse than almost anybody in the NFL. Um, And there's lots of candidates for that in free agency, in the draft, but they need to get one. It's their biggest weakness right now. Um, Wind was a factor, but the Bills I was really impressed with. They flexed and showed that they can play in different ways, that they can win in different ways. Their defense not only stopped the run, but got the huge play. That's a massive swing play. Picking it off in, you know, the Ravens end zone and running it back 104 yards is completely flipping the script. It gave the Bills enough leeway to then play loose and operate their offense with a lead. And that was it. Um, after that, Baltimore was really done. Um, fun fact that got, uh, that I got reminded about during that, well, right after that return, Hmm. don't over index on the combine (laughs) for all you scouting people out there. Don't over index on the combine. I'm serious. Watch tape at the combine. Teron Johnson was running the gauntlet drill, if you know what the gauntlet drill is. And he looked the wrong way and got beamed in the back of the head by the first throw. Was that him? That was him. I remember. I didn't realize that was him. That was Teron Johnson. Everybody's like, oh my God, he can't even look the right way in the gauntlet drill. What's this guy (laughs) worth? He's worth a a play that absolutely turns the game in the divisional round and gets you to the championship. That play was pivotal. It's not the only thing. The Bills probably would have won without it, but it was the deciding line at that point. The Ravens were broken, and they were going to have to try and do something exceptional, again, outside the envelope of what they're comfortable with. And that, you know, Buffalo playing at home with fans, which is something we haven't talked about, 6,700 there, um, that was it. That was too big of a hill for Baltimore to climb, and... The Bills move on. Baltimore goes home. I do want to say that there was a bunch of crazy backlash. And I, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, I addressed it the next morning. There are a ton of people saying, Lamar, uh, this kills me, can't pass, will never win the big game, whatever. And I just said, hey, like, relax. You're talking about, at this point, a reigning NFL MVP who led the league in touchdown throws last year. He's Mm -hmm. 24 years old, right? You're talking about a sitting MVP who threw more touchdowns than anybody in football. And his number one receiver is Hollywood Brown. I get it, but even with last year's (laughs) cast, which was not amazing, he still threw more touchdowns than anybody in the NFL, more than Mahomes, more than Rodgers, more than anybody. He was at the top of the list. He threw more passing touchdowns than anybody in the NFL. And one year later, the the kid's not even 25, sitting, reigning NFL MVP, because they haven't named this year's NFL MVP. And people are saying things like, he can't pass. Can't pass? Are you nuts? Like, the recency bias after that game, I get it. The receivers are garbage. They can't separate. Defenses give them zero respect. They absolutely crowd the run. Buffalo did it as well. But if you go back about three weeks in film, none of those defenses respected the Ravens' wide receivers. They were just like, ah, we don't have to worry about them. We're going we're gonna to come suffocate what you do the best. But go easy on Lamar Jackson. I said, as a follow-up to that, if you give... Let's just say Brian Dable to Lamar as his offensive coordinator and you give him one alpha receiver is whatever you're going to say about him going to hold up. 
And the answer is, nah, it ain't. Give him a creative passing game and a target, and that's that. So recency bias is a thing. Just take a breath. This time last year, people said Josh Allen can't throw. You go get Stephon Diggs. And they had... And they actually had a better case for that. They had a much better case. Because he had not to this point. This year changed everything for Josh Allen. But literally, Lamar did that last year. He was the MVP and threw more touchdowns. And somehow, people think within basically a nine-month period that he forgot how to play football and that he will never, ever ascend to those heights. Meanwhile, not recognizing that he's actually sitting at those heights being a reigning MVP, but it's just nuts. Like Allen, Allen got Stefan Diggs. He got Beasley since he arrived there. I think John Brown's been there all three years, but you know, you get Davis this year, the, the rookie at a UCF who is an artist on the sideline. So your four top receivers are arguably the best group of four in the entire league. You have an offensive line who's top five in sack percentage allowed. They can't run block worth the dam. But they can pass block like crazy. You have a very creative offensive coordinator. You have such a great support system around Josh Allen to let him develop into what he is today. Whereas Lamar, you lose your all-pro left tackle. Your Hall of Fame guard retires. Your number one receiver is Hollywood Brown. Your number two is Willie Sneed. Your best receiving weapons probably Mark Andrews, your tight end. Uh-huh. What if... And your offensive coordinator is Greg Roman, who 80% of the time he's running mesh or four verts. Ding, 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 ding. What do you guys expect here? Like, he went in Louisville, he played in a pro-style offense. He played in a more complicated pass game in Louisville than he did in in Baltimore. Now, the run game is is a lot better designed to use his his physical gifts in Baltimore, but it's not like they never used him as a runner in Louisville either. If you you transferred that Louisville system, which was... a lot of outside zone, a lot of bootlegs. Honestly, looked a lot it's, like what the Shanahan tree runs. No, it's Earhart Perkins. put that in Baltimore? Yeah, it's... Lu- Louisville was Earhart Perkins, and everybody was like, oh, he's not going to be able to throw. I'm like, literally, <laughs> that's the same system Brady runs, right? Yeah. It's just, so, ugh, people are... People what are bothers nuts. me is that the people that are saying it, you... <laughs> to get in trouble here. Nope, you're not going to be able to avoid it. You cannot reason somebody out of a position that they did not reason themselves into. I'll just say that. Lamar's always going to have haters. That was incredibly artful, Mr. Coleman. I'm I'm terribly impressed. And I'm not even being sarcastic. I know you can't tell because I'm talking. But... <laughs> That was very just, good. I'm impressed. It's that's that's it's always going to be that way with Lamar. It just is. Yeah. It just is. I don't. I'm not one to argue in bars. Uh, certainly not during COVID, but pre-COVID, when I would go have a pint and watch a game that I wasn't getting on my home screen, um, I, I don't get into bar arguments. I might get into animated bar discussions, but I'm not one for bar arguments because, again, it's kind of like arguing on Twitter. You're never going to win. Um, but I actually did get into a bar argument about Lamar because again, somebody that was there who had already made their mind up, uh, not because they had ever watched Lamar Jackson, but they'd seen a picture of him. So they knew, uh, was it Bill they, Polian? <laughs> uh, it was, it was one of Bill Polian's disciples. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, okay. yeah. And he was like, 
you know, and I was like, this and this and this fact and fact, and he played in this system and he did this and he's thrown from one. No, nah, man, he's a runner. And I was like, ah, I just told you all the reasons he's not. He's like, nah, man, he's a runner. He's never going to be more than a runner. I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I get it. See, the proper criticism for Lamar as a thrower coming out, and keep in mind, I had plenty of criticisms. I made a video sure. about it. Yeah, absolutely. Was that the processor was a tick slow when he was not just doing half field reads off bootlegs like he was doing a lot at Louisville. He wasn't used to doing full field reads. It was bad in year one, got great in year two. Well, not great, but better in year two. Uh, And mechanically, you know, really narrow base caused him to miss high a lot coming out of Louisville. There were problems with him as a passer, but there were problems with Jalen Hurts as a passer as a true freshman as well. Guys get better sometimes. You know, Jalen Hurts was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the entire league or in all of college football for two straight years uh, at Alabama and then at Oklahoma. Like, I feel like people don't understand that quarterbacks can get better at their jobs when they're paid a lot of money to get better at their jobs. Like, I don't know. It's it's something that's always bothered me is like people see these kids when they're 19 and 20 years old and assume that that's what they're always going to be. Like Justin Herbert at Oregon is not Justin Herbert now. Lamar Jackson as a rookie is not Lamar Jackson now. Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech is not Pat Mahomes now. Deshaun Watson in his senior year at Clemson or junior at Clemson is wasn't even Deshaun Watson halfway through his rookie year. Guys get better. Sometimes they get worse. You know, Trubisky right now. (coughs) Uh, Trubisky. (laughs) Tua, I think, is not playing as well this year as he did at Alabama pre-injury. He's just not. And I, I always lean on a phrase that you use. Progression is not linear. It's up and down. Constantly. We need we need that on a bootleg T-shirt because it's it's absolutely constant. And remember it. I see a bunch of stuff in the chat about when are we going to start draft work. Uh, I've already started. I know Brett's already started as well. It's a question of working it in around all this other stuff. But this is something to remember. And remembering all these lessons that we're talking about of oh when you know I had a conversation uh, about a quarterback that's coming out this year, and I brought up Dak, and I said, well, what did you think of Dak when he was when he was in college? When he was going to come out, what did you think of Dak? And he was like, well, this. And I was like, yeah. So how does that compare to what you're looking at right now? Because Dak has obviously improved, but I get serious Dak vibes from this guy. Again, Dak in college, not Dak the Cowboys or Dak, you know, playing at an MVP pace before he got hurt or Dak's going to sign a $40 million deal. Not that Dak, right? But again, what did I learn? Why didn't I look at that when he was in college? What, um, what? grace am I going to give somebody for that progression and know that that progression is not always going to go the way I want, right? There are guys in college that I was absolutely sure were going to be stars and they got to the NFL and they played worse and they're out of the league. It happens. There are guys that played like absolute dookie in college. They got to the pros. They got serious. They got a good position coach. They took to it and they're superstars. So Progression is not linear. We all like to think that, oh, if he was this good here, he's going to be this good next year, and we're just going to keep adding blocks, and he's he's going to be this good. It doesn't go that way, folks. It goes up and down. So just keep it in mind. Yeah, that's why we look at you know Dwayne Haskins going to the Steelers, and we hope that that can turn into a Ryan Tannehill situation. Although 
We should talk about that because we actually brought up Steelers when when he fell out of favor. Oh, in Washington, way back. Yeah. And yeah. people were like, where would he fit? Steelers was one of the two teams we said first because his skill set is an obvious clone to what Roethlisberger in prime did. Like they mm-hmm. are they are very close. They're not identical. But again, this is all about how Dwayne's going to take to that team and take to that system because the Steelers famously have a structure. And if Dwayne Haskins wants to fit into that structure, he can be a super duper star in Pittsburgh. He can be really good. He's got a tremendous receiving core in front of him. He's got a great offensive line and he's got a well-established offensive system that he just has to be a part of. He has to be the trigger man for. That is a great, great, great opportunity for Haskins. Will he take it? Don't know. Progression's not linear. If you look at the Haskins from the end of his rookie year, he got way better. His last six games and his the first year that he played in Washington were good. There were serious increases in his ability, his reads, um, his variance on his throws. And then eh, he didn't look so good. Again, he sort of plateaued or came off. And that's a bit. that's a work ethic issue, you know, because I think a lot of progression depends on work ethic. You have to put in work to get better at the nfl level absolutely agree 100 so if if haskins you know knuckles down says i want to fit in this system teach me what you know i think it's great i'm just going to plug in and be a cog i don't have to make everything go he he has a tremendous opportunity there with his skill set yeah absolutely uh and i have no idea honestly how to transition back to buffalo baltimore out of that um i don't have a whole Many other thoughts. Yeah, Buffalo, Buffalo won. won. Baltimore lost. We're gonna get to we're gonna get to see Josh Allen versus Mahomes. That's pretty much it. Lazy on Lamar Jackson. It was a bummer to see him smack his head. However, you said it earlier, but I gotta say it because I've been saying it since before he got drafted. Tyler Huntley. I wanted to see Tyler Huntley all year, yeah. and you and I were both on Huntley. I turned you on to Huntley, and you looked, and you were like, "Damn!" Like, yeah, yeah, and. We said one of the places, again, pre-draft, he could go. He's like, backing up Lamar would be perfect because mm-hmm. it really fits his skill set. Sure enough, Ravens pick him up late. He doesn't play pretty much all year, uh, even when we really wanted him to. We got to see uh, McSorley instead. That wasn't great. Um, but here comes Tyler Huntley in a huge situation, like the biggest possible situation he can come into, and it didn't look too big for him. He missed a couple no. of huge throws by inches. Like, he missed a game changer by half the length of the guy's hands. Um, and, you know, he's a rookie and, and a lowly regarded rookie at that. Tyler Huntley is a guy that I've been wanting the Bears to steal off the practice squad all year because he's better than anything they have uh, on their practice squad. Certainly better than Tyler Bray with developmental potential. But Tyler Huntley came in and acquitted himself very well in a crazy big situation. Um the Ravens had said, we don't want to play him. We want to hide him. We don't want to let anybody know. When they asked Lamar about Huntley, good. they said, we don't want to show him. That's why we brought McSorley. And we want to we want to keep him under the radar. He's getting good, and he's going to be an asset. Now everybody knows. Anybody that has that last quarter of film from a huge spot, he didn't miss by much. And with little polish, Tyler, Hunt, Tyler Huntley could be a real player. So that was a... You know what, what's see. interesting about him when he was uh, when he was coming out of Utah um, as a prospect. A lot of people didn't put accuracy 
as like a number one trait for him. But when you look at every single quarterback in all of the call, and I looked this up on Sports Info Solutions, which is like my favorite stats website. They have all these crazy stats for college and pro football. Uh, when you look at on target accuracy percentage for every single quarterback in college football, number one was at least among quarterbacks with like minimum 150 dropbacks. So not guys that, you know, played 10 snaps. Uh, Number one was Joe Burrow, predictably that year at LSU. In terms of percentage of passes that were on target and catchable, 82.7%, which is absolutely disgusting. You know who was number two? Tyler Huntley, 81.6%. He was accurate as fuck coming out of Utah. And also... Great under pressure. He actually had a better passer rating under pressure than Joe Burrow, who was number two. Tyler Huntley was number one. Like uh, he's he was such an underrated prospect that I don't know why he didn't get more attention than he did. But I think he ended up in a perfect spot in Baltimore. And while he's not the like, he's a good runner, but he's not the runner that Lamar is because nobody is. I. I there was a few times in that game, like if he just hit on Hollywood on that on that play to Hollywood, and there was a couple of the throws where it's like, man, they they could have come back with him. He didn't. He didn't miss chance, by much. And in that spot, it was stunning. And the reason Huntley fell, we don't need to go down the rabbit hole. His motion at Utah was, uh, let's just say, unconventional. If you looked at him throw the ball. Uh, you wouldn't want to draft him. If you looked at what happened when he threw the ball and where it was and when it was, so timing and placement, accuracy, as Brett said, he was stunning. But his motion was, yeah, his motion was off-putting. They've modified it a little bit. It doesn't look quite as bad. but To say the least. Uh, Why don't we move on to uh, uh, Rams at Green Bay, which... Not gonna lie, EJ. I'll let you take the floor for us on the wins because that game just made me sad. Uh, just seeing, seeing what the Rams were halfway through the season, yeah. and then seeing what they ended up as with an injured quarterback and injured Donald, and it, it wasn't the same Rams team. Honestly, even if the, if that if they were at full strength, they still probably would have lost that game because Aaron was just playing at an absolutely unreal level, and they were doing a great job of hiding Devontae from Ramsey and, and giving him matchups with literally everybody else. Uh, but man, that's that was not the same Rams team that no. that we saw in mid November. No, and this this one did go a little bit more like we said it might. I said that if Rodgers showed up to play that the Rams were done and I didn't care about anything else because Aaron Rodgers is that player. Being a Bears fan, I am fully aware that if he comes to play, it doesn't matter if you have him throw into the neighborhood garbage collectors. He is going to run you off the field because he is damn near perfect at the quarterback position. And Rodgers showed up to play, and it didn't really matter what the Rams did. It didn't help that Aaron Donald was not playing at full strength, that their quarterback position was shredded by injury. Um, Cooper Cup was not 100%. Uh, you know, that doesn't help, but it also didn't matter. It didn't matter if all those guys rolled into Lambeau Field at 100%. If Aaron Rodgers was playing like he was playing, he's going to run them off the field. Um, they needed to get to him early and often and put him on the ground. They weren't able to do it, and he threw darts all day. And uh, you may have seen the little GIF meme that came out of that of him seeing the safety coverage and smiling. That is a terrifying sight as a Rodgers opponent. You know what's about to happen. He knew. 
He looked at the pre-snap read and went, <laughs> touchdown, look at that. He knew, <laughs> and he threw it right then, and that's that's Rodgers, right? And Rodgers is, look, he is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He might be the most talented quarterback to ever play in the NFL. And before everybody jumps in the chat and says, Tom Brady's the GOAT, Tom Brady is the GOAT. Absolutely. He's the greatest of all time. I didn't say greatest of all time. I said most talented quarterback to ever play in the NFL. Because when asked about talent, Brady said, Rodgers has five times more talent than I do. And he does. Well, uh, not five uh, times, but on, he's, ta- he's- on tape, that's, you know, it's not terribly arguable that Rodgers is a more talented quarterback than Brady is. Now, Brady is a GOAT for other reasons. He is the GOAT. And I'm not arguing that. But Aaron Rodgers, if he shows up and he's on, you're losing. That's it. He's at that level. He was at that level. We could talk about everything else. We could talk about all the matchups. We talked about having Devontae not pinned down on Ramsey because Ramsey is one of the few guys in the NFL that can really stymie the best receiver in the NFL right now, and that's Devontae Adams. They moved him around. It, again, it's nice. It helped them win by more, but it didn't matter. This was Aaron Rodgers showing up and going, you're not taking me down in my house. Bye. And he did that, and the Rams are moving on. Um, Interesting to me is what happens now with the Rams because the Rams got run out of the playoffs last year, and McVay went back to school. There was a lot of question mark about his vanity um, and his belief in his system and when he was just going to sort of run it back and try it again. He didn't. He switched it up. He was very affected by that loss, and he said, what do I need to not have that again? interestingly they get run off the field again he's taking you can imagine he's taking a similar approach and there are rumors that he's not very happy with jared goff and you can imagine that if you roll into green bay with an average quarterback and get absolutely rolled off the field by one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time you as an offensive play caller genius might say huh what could i do with a little bit more quarterback that seems to be one of my limitations. Not to mention, me- it's his former assistant that's getting to work with that amazing quarterback who... Can you imagine <laughs> looking across and being like, ah! Because <laughs> he knows Matt, and Matt knows him. They run not the same, but there are similar elements to each of their offenses in terms of personnel groupings. Uh, you know, Sean tends to lean a lot more on 11 personnel. The floor leans a lot more on 21 and 12 personnel. He's he's more on the Shanahan side than the McVay mm-hmm. side. Uh, but, you know, similar mosage, motion usage rates. Like, you know, they both love outside zone. They both love bootlegs. Like, it's it's not that they far both love bootlegs. We should have them on the podcast. They both love, both love bootlegs. They do. But they, um, the one major difference is that Matt gets to work with Aaron Rodgers and Jared works with, or, and Sean works with Jared Goff. You know, it's, uh, that's probably the biggest difference between those two teams because the Rams' offensive line, when they're healthy, is very, very good. Their defense, I think, is better. Head coach, I would say, is even. Like, the, the main difference between those two teams is quarterback. And it's such a wide difference that literally nothing else matters. So, yeah, I, I understand why Sean is frustrated at golf, especially since I'm not super familiar with the contract, but I think they're locked into it for at least two more years. So they, yeah. depending on how committed they were to getting out from under it, I took a look at it. Um, they can get out from under it this year. It would be punitive, uh, but not to the point, not prohibitive, right? Again, if... McVeigh is set 
on getting Goff out this year, he could do it. Now, it wouldn't be pretty. It'd be much prettier next year, or as a June 1, next year would be Holy even better. Holy shit. It's a $50 million cap hit for cutting. If they trade him... If they trade him after June 1, they can do it. If, Yeah, if they trade him after June 1, it goes down to a $6.8 million cap hit. Trading pre-June 1 is a $22.2 million cap hit. Which they could still do, but it's not great. It would hurt. It would hurt, but again, if you're committed, you can make that kind of money up. Just ask the Saints. Oh my god! I mean, six point eight million isn't horrible. No, six point eight million is nothing. That would require another team being a feeling like they're ready to go, but the only thing they're missing is quarterback. Cough, cough. Don't, 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 don't. Damn you! I mean, I knew it was coming, but it still hurts. It's better than Mitch. Uh, he's no, he's, he's absolutely better than anything in Chicago's barn at quarterback. But please, God, no. Like, I mean, I, I don't even think God. you guys could afford him. To be honest, I, I don't even I don't know what your financial situation is, but it's probably not very good. Not it's good not enough great. to take on that contract. Well, no, especially with the salary cap at uh, hundred projected hundred and eighty. Uh, that's going to be it's going to be difficult. Not impossible, but um, yeah, you would it would preclude you from doing a good number of Ooh. other things. You know. You know what? You know who does have a lot of money and is newly in need of a quarterback? Indy. Yeah, I could see it. Sure. And they don't have could a make, great... Wright could make them work. I mean, they're low in the draft order, so say goodbye to Zach Wilson. Say goodbye to... Oh, they're not probably Probably everybody but Trask. <laughs> like, I, Trask I don't or think maybe Mac. I mean... Maybe Mac Jones. Maybe Mac. But... I mean, if they if they feel like, hey, our defense is good enough, our offensive line is good enough, our weapons are good enough, our coaching is good enough, let's go make a run here, like we did with Phil. But here's Phil. my question, like, and I don't know, uh, Brissett's a free agent, isn't he? I think so. I can't, I can't remember. I think he's a free agent. Now, let's just say, for sake of argument, Brissett was not a free agent. He had one more year. Goff or Brissett? Like, to me, that's like... It's... It's not as different as it should be when you look at what each one of them are making. Well, I'll tell you that I much. don't think talent. I mean, I don't think you would win significantly more games. You might win one more game with Goff. You might win two. But Brissett's not bad, and Goff is not great. So even though they're not, we're not talking about that seismic difference between Goff and Rodgers. You're talking about Goff and Brissett. They're closer than I think a lot of people would admit. They're saying, uh, chat. Aaron in chat is saying the utter slander to Jacob Eason right now. Hey, hey, hey. As a guy that lives like 22 miles as the crow flies from UW Stadium, it, it ain't slander. He's got to get better. Like, Eason has crazy tools. Like, when Jacob Eason lets one go in anger, you can hear it. <laughs> It'll punch a hole in your chest. Uh, it, I mean, it is a thing. It is awesome and i mean that in the true sense of the word causing awe you're like oh i still remember a throw i sent you from eason's tape and i was like this is why people are going to get excited look at this and it's about a 40 yard route uh basically a middle post uh they run it from the field side to the short side of the field so the guy's going in running basically deep post landing into the end zone eason throws it 48 yards on a line ball never gets higher than about 10 or 11 feet off the ground um it is an absolute 
cannon. It's a rocket. And he's got that kind of arm, but you watch short throws, you watch mesh stuff over the middle, um, you watch any kind of sideline back shoulder stuff where a little arc is required. He didn't have that. And he also didn't have great reads. Now, talented guy, and I was really happy that he gets to go work with Frank Reich. I think that's amazing. And if he can make uh <laughs> if he can make half the jump that Allen made after his arrival at the Bills, he could absolutely be a functional mid-tier quarterback in the NFL. And if he jumps even higher than that, he'll be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL because he's got rare... Nobody's jumping higher. Allen's jump is already historic. Nobody's ever made Allen's jump in terms of where he came from and where he's at. Um, I don't know. Justin Herbert from Oregon to Justin Herbert with the Chargers was stunning to me. It is stunning, but it's not even close to... Josh Allen at Wyoming to Josh Allen this year. Like that look look at the numbers. It's it's not even close. Uh, I don't know. Progression isn't linear. Yes. Somebody's listening. I love it. Yes, it That's isn't great. linear. It isn't linear. So who knows? Maybe Jared Goff's progression will not be linear and he'll take another spike up. But at the same time, are you willing to bet all of that money? <laughs> I was going to say, are you, are you bet, willing to bet, you bet all that? of that cap space on him taking progression? Because, I mean, I've I've been to several. I mean, I'm a Southern California resident. I've been to several Rams games at this point in the McVay and Goff area. I have sat right behind the Rams bench and watched with my own two eyes Sean McVay just rattle off into the headset till he gets cut off at the 15 second mark. And I, this was, you know, in Jared's fourth year. You know, I think this was the Super Bowl year, or maybe it was the year after that. You know, it's, you know a fourth-year quarterback getting fed, you know, by Sean McVay saying, oh, strong side rotation, you know, here's the alert. That shouldn't happen. Like, you, you should have a quarterback that should be able to function on his own at the line of scrimmage. And to be fair, he's gotten better at it, but I don't – I have never saw – the progression that I think we all hoped for. Like he's certainly better than he was, you know, year one under Jeff Fisher. It's hard to be worse, but has he gotten so much better under McVeigh that it's worth paying him? What is it? 30 plus million a year. Personally, I don't think so. So if they can offload him to a team that has a lot of cap space and a need for an immediate quarterback for next year, which I think the only one that even qualifies for that is Indy, I would do it. And then I would, you know, see what see what you can get on day two in the draft. Um, you know, maybe package picks and trade up for Mac Jones, who in this system I think could be pretty good. It's not like they have a whole lot of cap space themselves. They're kind of strapped for cash. So I think right now they could probably use a rookie quarterback contract to, to really help them kind of get out of some financial uh, sticky situations they've got coming up. Like it makes sense to me from a roster building standpoint to get out of the Jared, Jared Goff contract in some way, shape or form, and then let Sean try to work his magic with somebody else. It makes sense. Again, this is not saying Jared Goff is bad, but when you look at the money they're paying him and how, how much they're expecting him to get better and he isn't, I, I think there's merit to the story of, hey, it's time to get a new guy. I, I absolutely think, though. Here's one that goes straight to your particular heart from chat. Angry hmm. Sandwich says, Malik Willis to the Rams in 2022, and I will die on that Ooh. hill. 
You you have no idea, Sandwich, but that hit that hit Brett right between the eyes. He loves oh. him some Malik Willis. Like I like Malik Willis. He loves Malik Willis. Like he. Oh, really that would likes give me him. heart palpitations. Yeah. Somebody no, that mobile. Can you imagine Sean McVay being like, man, I haven't been able to run any of this shit since 2012 when I had Robert Griffin III. You know, you you give Sean McVay's passing game with the running game stuff that he and Kyle Shanahan cooked up when they were in Washington that they neither of them have been, have been able to use it in years. Because um, Malik Willis can move, and he's got a cannon for an arm. Yeah. Very accurate. Still can't believe Auburn let him walk out the door. I don't think Malik declared... For this no, year? no. He said 2022. 2022. Yeah, which will be Man. next year. Yeah, assuming that things go well. I would, I would well. love that. Uh, Cash asked, asked what we're drinking tonight. We are drinking Bowie beer, uh, Dunkel Lager, and uh, that guy over there is drinking coffee because he's got a ton of editing to do. But speaking of that, we should move on. Um, let's go Buck Saints real quick. Um we said that if the Buccaneers, well, the Buccaneers didn't hit on all cylinders versus Washington, and we said that if they did, if they returned to that form and used all of their weapons, they would take down the Saints. Uh, they did, and they did. The Bucks' defense played a much bigger role in the win than we focused on. Uh, one of my particular favorites, I cried lots of tears about Antoine Winfield making plays for the Bucks <laughs> because he could have been a bear. Um, and yes, they could have still had Jalen Johnson. Um, yes, agent of chaos, uh, Antoine Winfield made a lot of plays, but he wasn't the only one. The Bucks defense really sort of rounded back into that midseason form when they were hammering on people. Um, and I absolutely loved from a personal standpoint, um, the Bucks physical secondary crushing all the short stuff. All those guys who are big, tough, physical players in the secondary just mashing the short stuff for the Saints because the bottom line is, since Drew Brees got his ribcage ripped apart, he can't throw deep. He can't well, do it Did you hear about the other there. injuries that he apparently had too? Yeah. I, I His wife, uh, Brittany, posted that he played with a torn plantar fashion, his foot. Rotator cuff? Torn uh, injury to his rotator cuff. Now, that... That's not super specific. Rotator cuff is the four little bands that connect your shoulder together. Um, basically keep your shoulder sucked into the ball joint of your shoulder. So it could be any one of those. Um, anybody that's injured their any part of their rotator cuff knows it's extremely painful. Then he had 11 cracked ribs, cracked or broken ribs, and a punctured lung. And I just love it when people call NFL players soft. And I'm talking about any NFL player because... If you have ever been on the sideline level for an NFL game, and I don't care if it's a preseason game, if you have ever been at field level for an NFL game, it is terrifying. <laughs> like, it's amazing, but it is terrifying. Like, it will take your breath away. The amount of force that is involved in what looks like on your television very innocuous collisions is jaw-dropping. So if you've never had turf toe, it's extremely painful. If you've never torn a piece of your rotator cuff, it's pretty darn bad. If you've never had your thumb bent back at a really awkward angle, like Devontae Smith did... By the it, way, uh, the podcast... People, listeners are not going to understand this. Uh, my, my, I'm very double jointed. Oh, Jesus, son! 
That's awful. To, Anyways, you got to so, warn Yes, I have, had my, I have had my thumb bent backward because I do it every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to warn her, brother. Anyways, if you've never had any of that stuff, if you've never witnessed the actual amount of impact up close of, you know, guys that weigh 250 pounds and run a 4.6 running into each other with anger, don't ever call NFL players soft. Not once. Because one of those hits and you would be in the recliner for three months moaning for people to bring you some water. Um, the idea that a guy like Drew Brees would play through a completely collapsed rib cage, enough on one side that he deflated his lung, a torn shoulder and a ripped band in the bottom of your foot. Like he really wanted, he knew it was the last year that he was going to play, but still to get out of bed in the morning with that level of injury is amazing. So, you know, I'm glad the Bucks did it because I've been clamoring for everybody to do it because look, the NFL is, is big on a lot of things, but they are not big on mercy. (laughs) If there is a weakness, they are going to push on it as hard as they can until you break. And the bottom line is Drew Brees can't throw deep since his ribcage got torn up. Go figure. He was also playing with a bum shoulder. Go figure. That means you slam all those short routes that he makes a living on and challenge him to go over the top. And if he does once or twice a game, you're still going to live because that's all he's going to hit. And the Bucks absolutely smothered those short routes with all those physical players in the secondary. And it was it was awesome. They just basically snuffed out sean payton's offense and sean knew that he couldn't go four verts and go deep mm-hmm. 15 times because drew would have fallen apart and he doesn't have i mean people said put in Jameis, and i can't hardly argue with him because yeah he's got a deep ball but he's probably going to throw a couple to well that's why defense. they uh they threw the trick playoff wildcat with Jameis because they're like he's the only guy we got that can get it down you're field. you're talking about a play that doesn't exist I don't want oh, you mean it. the one that uh, the Bears... No, I don't want to have, hear it. <laughs> might have missed on the word before. The one that Wims didn't catch? Yeah, yeah, I heard about it a little. I, I got some feedback on Twitter, if you can imagine, that the, you know somebody said, I think the key to this play is catching the football. I was oh, like... Oh, is it? Oh, oh, really? Yeah, that's fascinating. Anyways, um, I was happy speaking to see of catching, that. Uh, speaking of catching the football, by the way, Michael Thomas did not at all in that entire game. No catches. He, I think what happened was he might have shook hands with Chris Godwin right before the game. <laughs> and whatever whatever bad juju Godwin had from the game before when he had like five drops rubbed off on Michael Thomas and just blunted his effectiveness. Because neither one of those guys traditionally drops the football hardly at all, ever. And to see them in successive weeks drop quite a few footballs, not, not typical, but... Yeah, so Bucks overwhelm the Saints. They'll move on. Brady is playing at a ridiculously high level. His He's apparently triple re-upped his deal with the devil and at 43 is still throwing lasers, um, unlike Philip Rivers who retired or Drew Brees who's going to retire or um, anybody that t- typically approaches that age with that much mileage in the NFL is not throwing lasers deep into the postseason. And apparently the avocado ice cream thing is real because Brady is still ripping it. So. One more thing I do want to bring up, um, Tristan Wirfs, also another guy from the, you know, good in college, great in the NFL, you know, progression is not linear, does not just apply to quarterbacks, it applies to offensive linemen sometimes too, uh, he was the best right tackle in football this year as a rookie with no offseason, and for him in a playoff game against Cam Jordan, one of the best edge rushers 
of the last decade, inarguably, when you look at all of his numbers. He is one of the best edge rushers of his generation. And to go that whole game allowing zero pressures and dominating everybody who lined up against him. And the Saints have a trio of great edge rushers. He dominated all of them. It was one of the most remarkable performances by a rookie that I've seen this entire year, regardless of position. It sucks that he didn't get more all-pro consideration because I think he was the best right tackle in the league this year. And I'll tell you what, if he keeps playing like this, uh, you know, this week he's going up against the Smith brothers and and we'll see who goes up against in the Super Bowl if they make it that far. But Cam Jordan was probably the best edge rusher that he had remaining on his schedule, and he kicked his ass. Don't disagree. No lies detected. Wirfs has been an absolute monster and getting better um, all year. He, he started out better than both of us thought he would, um, and he has really not slowed down. He plateaued for a little bit in the middle of the season, maybe dipped a little bit and then came right back and finished the season and is finishing the season uh, with incredible strength. So um, this whole tackle class, man, Becton, Wirfs, Wills. I just started uh, (laughs) doing tackle stuff last night for this year's draft. And let me tell you, um, uh, I think it was, I think it was DJ uh, Daniel Jeremiah that said a bazillion tackles are going to get picked in the first two rounds this year. Um, There is not the same strength at the top of this tackle class. There's a lot of good tackles and that is music to my ears as a Bears fan because they need a right tackle. They need to replace Bobby Massey and they will absolutely 100% be able to get one in the second round that is plenty talented and I am I'm psyched and, and they're not alone. Tackles are always of need. Um, good tackle play is something that will sustain you in the NFL, and there are a bunch coming out. So pretty excited about that. One more note before we move on to Browns, Kansas City. Uh, over the last decade, Tom Brady, and this is a stat I looked up myself just because I, I thought it was hilarious. Over the last decade, Tom Brady's percentage chance to reach a conference championship at 90% is now higher than the Bucks' extra point percentage was in 2020 at about 89.8%, if you can believe it. <laughs> my, my favorite stat was that last week, Drew Brees overtook Tom Brady for wins against NFC franchises in the playoffs. <laughs> He's only been in the NFC for one year. He's never He's been cyborg, in the man. NFC. Like he has never been cyborg. in the NFC. So every win he's had has been in the Super Bowl. And Breeze overtook him last week. And now that apparently they're probably tied again because he beat the Saints. Brady beat the Saints. So also surprising um, that he only had six playoff wins in like fourteen years, whatever it was in the I NFC that he's been but, in New Orleans. Yeah, he's very surprised. Just yeah, up for to a, eight, a player right, of his caliber he would have had to beat. He would have had to beat seven. So, anyways, um, yeah. yeah, crazy, crazy. Uh, Chiefs Browns or Chiefs hosting Browns. Our last divisional game recap. Um, first things first. I want to talk about the Mahomes injuries. The first one looked like turf toe, just with the way he was hobbling around, and we saw the replay of how it bent. Looked like turf toe. Uh, we. I don't think we've gotten a confirmation yet that that's what it is. I can't imagine that it won't be affecting him this weekend, but the the staff seems confident that he's going to play. He did practice in full on Wednesday. Um, I, 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 at the time, though, an injury to a left toe for a right-handed quarterback is kind of a tricky thing 
because you saw his accuracy plummet on throws to the left when he had to plant and kind of spin on that left toe to drive his hips through the ball. If you if you can't put pressure on your front toe, that means you either have to open up super extra and kind of fly your hip open uh, and have really wonky mechanics in every single throw, which to be fair, Pat can do that, but if you're not used to it, it's still going to cause some problems, and it did. He was missing several throws to his left after that injury. Uh, or another option is to just wrap the shit out of it, put some sort of steel plate in your in your you know shoe so that it completely immobilizes it, give you, give you a Toradol shot, and who knows how that would impact his ability to run which is also a big factor in his game, getting outside the pocket and throwing on the move. Either way, I feel like this is going to impact him somehow. We don't know what to what extent yet, because we don't really know to the extent of the injury. The concussion that didn't seem to really be a concussion, Jay Glazer came out with, he's not a doctor, but he came out with a theory that he actually just got choked out, uh, as in he just had blood flow temporarily disrupted to his brain just based on the forearm around his throat which uh, just choked him out. He wasn't actually concussed. I don't think we'll ever get a true answer on that either, but it seems like he's already out of concussion protocol, if I know correctly, or if I heard that correctly. So he'll be playing this week. I just don't know exactly what kind of Mahomes we're going to get based on on that foot. Yeah, I wouldn't... It was scary to see, honestly, probably the NFL's top asset right now get get mashed um it's again we talked about it earlier it's a violent game but i don't think there's very many nfl fans that want to see the chiefs playing without patrick mahomes at this point in the season right you want to see a healthy mahomes out there operating that offense at a high level and you know honestly if the bills came in and steamrolled chad henny right it's not the same uh no you really want that competition you want to see everybody performing at a high level so seeing him get dinged up twice in the same game was definitely scary i'm very glad it sounds like he will indeed be playing um yeah but the chiefs without mahomes are a whole different story like chad henny's still effective it's still a good team it is not a uh, roster bereft of talent there are lots of playmakers on that roster but we're just not talking about the same animal at all now that being said chad henny came off the bench cold made a big play at the end of the game to win it because the Chiefs were not as far ahead as we thought they might be. Um, the Browns played tough. They made it a game. Um, Browns got away from the run game, which is odd to me. Normally in the modern NFL, I don't care if you go away from the run game. Brian Dable passed, what, 19 straight times to lead off the Bills game, right? Uh, yeah. I don't care if you establish the run or not. You don't need to if you can throw it. Um, and you shouldn't, because if you can throw it successfully, you're going to score more points, uh, than you are if you're running it. However, if you're the Browns and you have Nick Chubb, who is the best running back in the NFL. And I say that meaning if you put the ball in his hands and have him run, he is the best player in the NFL. And yes, I'm saying better than Derrick Henry. That's okay. Everybody can have their flavors and you go away from Nick Chubb. You're actually shorting yourself because Nick Chubb is averaging six, seven yards a carry, especially in the fourth quarter. He is some of your biggest plays. There are lots of pass plays you're running for four and five yards, and running it is actually getting you more yards if you have Nick Chubb. So I take a little bit of issue with the Browns going away from Nick Chubb uh, because he is so crazy effective, and he's going to wear a team like Kansas City down. We had talked about that before the game. 
that Kansas City's run defense was not particularly good. You've got an extremely strong runner who's very productive and quite efficient if you look at yards per play, and you don't feed him. You also have the best run blocking line in the NFL. I'm thinking that you're not playing to your strengths as much as you might, um, thinking that you're just going to get into a shootout and the only way you can win is if you throw it. I don't think that's necessarily true, and I think the Browns sort of put themselves in a slightly bigger hole I don't think they were necessarily going to beat the Chiefs either way, but um, it seemed like they made their path a little bit harder by not handing the rock off to Nick Chubb earlier on in the game. And, I mean, schematically, when you look at this game, okay, so the Chiefs run two high safety shells 60% of the time. Like, it's a lot of quarters, it's a lot of cover two. Um, you know, they'll show one high and then roll to, to two deep. I'll, I'll talk about that when we talk about the Buffalo matchup. Um, a little bit, but like it's it's very much a too high base defense, and that's part of the reason why their run defense was 31st in the league in DVOA, because they're always going to be having a safety coming from depth to try to be that free fitter against the run, and sometimes they're late. And I figured that they were really going to lean on the run game to force them into more one high looks to get those free fitters in there earlier to hit those cutback lanes. And these running backs were averaging both about 5.3 yards per carry, which is very good. I thought they were really going to lean on that to force them into those one high looks so that you could get those deep crossing routes going against single high safety looks, which is what the Browns like to do, especially off play action. It just made sense to just run the shit out of the ball and just kind of dictate what defense they could and could not be in. They never really did that. They only ran the ball between Chubb and Hunt 19 times in the whole game. Like, that's, it's not their identity. You're playing into their strengths by trying to throw against two high shells all day. Like, they want you to do that. I I wasn't a, a super big fan of the Browns game plan this week, and I, I don't really know why they did it because I feel like honestly if they just came out swinging like even if they went down by 10 points if they just remained committed to that philosophy and didn't get spooked out of it so early I feel like they would have had a better chance to win regardless of whether Mahomes got injured or not because again he he got hurt what halfway through the third quarter regardless of, of when Pat got hurt if they just committed to that run heavy game plan I think they would have had a better shot for an upset. Not saying it would have happened, but I think they would have had a better chance. Yeah, you're just basically tilting the odds in your favor. And that's the odds of what's happened all season with both teams, with Kansas City's run D, with Cleveland's running line, with both of their running backs, the way that uh, Stefanski sets play action so heavily in his game plan. It really seemed to make sense. It's why we brought it up. And I was a bit confused as to why they didn't do it until later. Uh, they did do it, but they really started to lean heavy on the third quarter, and that was a little bit too little too late. So, uh, And then they went away from it at the end, of course, because they were behind. Uh, but just an interesting little like, huh, maybe Kevin Stefanski will learn from that, that playoff football is a little bit different, and you got to throw your best punches first. Uh, but there you go. They didn't, and that takes us away from the divisional games. I see a lot of chat about Super Chats. No super chats yet. Sorry. No, we're we're. I'm trying to work on the best way to implement super chat to not be, you know, either super disruptive to the podcast format because in the end I still do have to release this as a podcast, uh, and not to mention just the actual technical process of implementing super chat and all that kind of stuff. You know, 
we'll probably experiment it, experiment with it during um, maybe the Senior Bowl streams, potentially, because I, I don't know if those will be like podcast episodes per se. And then maybe if maybe either way, we're trying to figure it out. But, we're working uh, on it. We we're are working on it. We are very I'm very humbled. I had this conversation with my wife because my wife actually reads the chat uh, when she goes back and listens on YouTube. And I can't catch all the things that go by because I wouldn't be able to talk. Um, but she was like, so many people were talking about Super Chat. And I said, Patreon. Yes, I know it's Patreon, but I said, Patreon, <laughs> you feel free to give me crap about that. Patriots, New England Patriots. You don't say that. No, anyways, Patriots, Patriots. <laughs> um, I am incredibly humbled that all of you uh, want to support what we're doing so actively that you're talking about it at the chats, that you are lining up, banging on the door saying, let me throw money at you. Um, that is not lost on me. That is really, really tremendous so can't thank you enough we are working on it we're not ignoring you we think it's awesome it was new to both of us last week uh not patreon but super chats and the idea of it's going to take a little bit to wind it in uh trying to bring you some other features as well so um there you go yeah it's uh the support we've we've received from you guys has just been incredible especially kind of you know switching to this new format it's it's blown my mind i i i really can't thank you guys for everything you do for us. Not just, you know, audience support, but the sponsor support that we've received as well. Like we have we have a few loyal sponsors. Actually, one of them sponsored today's show, EJ. Probably better no better time than now to talk about today's corporate sponsor that's been kind of backing this show from the beginning. Uh, and that is Purple Mattress. If you guys have been listening to the show for a long time, you know how much we love Purple. They are the most innovative sleep system on the market for over 15 years now. Uh, and I'm I'm holding it up on podcast so you can see it. This is the purple grid. So anytime you've ever heard me talk about the purple grid, this is what it looks like. And it looks, you know, super squishy and unassuming from here. But when you actually try to press down, it's extremely supportive. And the actual mattresses, you can imagine, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of these supporting your body weight. Uh, they're exceptionally comfortable. I I really can't speak highly enough about them. Uh, not to mention, because of those little open-air channels, they're very, very cool, especially Southern California. We get really, really hot. It was 90 degrees in January last week. Uh, it's just a, a really extremely well-designed mattress. Uh, and they are so confident in this material that every single order comes with a 100-night risk-free trial. Every single mattress also ships for free and is delivered right to your door. And at the end of your trial, if you're not completely satisfied, they will come pick up your mattress at no cost to you. So if you want to try it out for yourself, go to purple.com bootleg10. I'll throw that link down below. You can use promo code bootleg10. And for a limited time with that code, you get 10% off any purple mattress order of $200 or more. Again, that is purple.com bootleg10. Promo code bootleg for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Of course, terms and conditions apply. My lawyer will kill me if I don't say that. But uh, with that being said, EJ, again, thank you to Purple for sponsoring us and helping us to actually do this for a living. And of course, for everybody in chat for tuning in. Uh, why don't we talk about these championship games? Because we have a lot to go over. We'll start with two teams that I think have uh, possibly been on a collision course for a while now, and that's Tampa Bay and Green Bay. Last time they played, Tampa Bay absolutely smacked them in the face. Green Bay jumped out to an early 10-0 lead. 
and then that Bucks defense came through and just blitzed the hell out of Aaron Rodgers, and, and there was no going back from there. Do you get the sense that it's going to be more of the same from Todd Bowles, and they're just going to come out straight with that blitz-heavy uh, game plan, or you think they're going to maybe play a little bit conservatively early on like they did last time just to kind of feel out what Green Bay is going to try to do to them? Well, I don't think they're going to do the same thing, right? I think the Tampa Bay's defense, again, at the point they played Green Bay, they were playing extremely well. There was a bit of a lull for the Tampa Bay defense where they they came out playing very hot and supporting that offense as it kind of got rolling early in the season. Then the defense, I don't want to say dipped, plateaued is what I'll say. They didn't sort of continue to increase. And the offense got online. And that's how Tampa Bay continued to win games is that passing system between the understandings between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady and Tom Brady and his receivers. Everything started to come together. They started to get contributions. Um, After that, they brought in Antonio Brown. And the defense, as we saw against the Saints, has really risen again. And so they're playing at a very high level, but I doubt very much that they're going to do the same thing. Now, as a Bears fan, I know that blitzing Aaron Rodgers is absolute death. (laughs) Because he will find who's open. You're not going to fool Rodgers at this point, and he has bought in fully to Lafleur system. He last year, he was one foot in and one foot out this year. He gets it pre-snap motion motion during the snap. He is a hundred percent there and he is running it with mastery that makes attacking him in almost any way, very difficult, but I'm kind of reminded of the line from Avengers. Uh, right. We have a Hulk, <laughs> right? And Sue can still do it in the middle of the line. And if Ndamukong Sue gets through what is a very good Packers line and slams Rodgers into the turf a couple times, you're going to see him change. Uh, quarterbacks, we talked about three of them uh, in this podcast. Breeze, Brady, and Rodgers uh, change very much. Peyton Manning was the same way. If you got to him with middle pressure and smacked him around a little bit early in the game, not as effective for the rest of the game. goes for those other three guys and it goes for Rodgers too. So, I think Tampa Bay has the horses, but they're going to have to get to him with either straight pressure or creative five-man rushes, which they can do. They showed quite a few of those against the Saints. They've got to get to Rodgers. They've got to hit him. They've got to frustrate him. They've got to do it early. Because if you blitz him, especially like stuff off the corner, he's got eyes in the back of his head. He knows that stuff's coming. He's going to hit hot and just gash you. Um, And the answer is there's not really a great answer against Aaron Rodgers right now. He is the guy with all the tools and all the answers. Um, But it it is a little bit old school. We talked about this a little bit in the pre-show with Dan Campbell and the Lions, right? You got to get in and just knock him around. Uh, It's the only way to get him off his game. If you give him any amount of time, I don't care how many you drop in coverage. I don't care how much you rotate after the snap. He knows it. He sees it. He's going to crush you. So, you know, if you can find a way to hit him in the mouth, which is easier said than done because that Green Bay line is extremely good, um, you've got a chance. If you don't, um, you ain't going to win. <laughs> yeah. I uh, One thing that I'm curious about with them is we saw Green Bay last week against the Rams who have a better version of Carlton Davis. In Jalen Ramsey, you know, big oh, sure. physical, except Ramsey's more fluid, yeah. faster. Better like, is good. He, we, we'll take better. <laughs> we'll take better. He's a better yeah. version of Carlton Davis. Better in several ways, sure. Um, not that Carlton Davis is bad. We love Carlton Davis, but Jalen yep. Ramsey's that dude. 
they did an excellent job of hiding Devontae Adams from Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey only allowed three catches for 27 yards against Devontae. I don't count that touchdown uh, because that was just kind of a miscommunication on how they handle motion. Like when you look at the leverage of the route, there's literally no way that Ramsey could have covered that. Uh, If anything, the nickel should have bumped out and they should have played a switch to it. it. somehow got screwed up. I don't really count that touchdown against Devontae. In the rest of the game, only allowed three catches for 27 yards. He played really well against him, but the problem was he only allowed three catches for 27 yards because they were hiding Devontae from him. They put him in the slot. The only time Ramsey ever traveled into the slot with him was inside the red zone. Um, They would put him either at number two or number three. If Ramsey uh, matched up with him you know, in like a two by two and he was outside, they would then motion him across and leave Ramsey on an island with the number one on the weak side and then have Devontae match up with, you know, whoever's unfortunate job was to take him on the other side. They did a really good job of frustrating Ramsey. And I, I wish I saved the clip. I, I screen captured it live during the game of you saw uh, he actually was lined up on Devontae outside on a three by one. Uh, and he was on the passing strength of the formation, and Ramsey traveled with him for once, and then Devontae motioned away, and you saw Ramsey go, come on, man, like, what the hell? <laughs> like, he was, he wanted to go up against Devontae more than he did, but Green Bay did an excellent job of, of preventing that, because why would they put Devontae and Ramsey when they can get him on literally anybody else? I'm curious to see if they do the same thing and hide him from Carlton Davis and instead go after Murphy Bunting, go after Jamel Dean, go after Cockrell, go after every other corner they have on the roster with Devontae because literally none of them can cover him man-to-man. None of them can. Carlton's probably the only guy who even has a decent shot. So I I would suspect they're going to do the exact same thing, and I would be curious to see how Bowles then kind of adjust to that. Is he going to let Carlton travel? And if so, that's going to be a big indicator for man coverage. So then you might get more rubs. You might get, uh, you know, easier indicators for when blitzes are coming. So that the screen game might get opened up by that. Like it's, it's going to be very interesting to see if they just let their other corners get eaten up by Devante in order to stop everything else. Or if they stop Devante and then try to make everything else beat them. It's, it's, you can kind of only do one or the other here. So uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what they do. I'll probably end up doing an episode on it because I can guarantee you Green Bay's not going to go into this game with the same plan they did last time. And uh, I think that battle between LaFleur and Bowles ultimately will decide the game. Yeah, I don't think they're going to run Carlton with him because if they did that, you're going to see double motion from LaFleur. You're going to see motion and then motion back across and a snap during the second motion so that he literally can't be straight across from Adams when it happens, and that's going to give Adams that little flat release. Um, I think they're probably going to stick Carlton on one side. We'll see, but it'll be fascinating to see how they bring the safeties in against Adams because they're going to have to. You can't cover Devontae Adams straight up one-on-one with almost anybody. Jalen Ramsey might be the closest thing in the NFL that you could do that with. Uh, there's nobody like Ramsey on the Bucks roster. So they're going to have to bring those safeties in and roll them over the top. And then it really does become sort of pick your poison. Uh, but that's a lot uh, easy for me to say. That's a lot easier to do with a team like the Packers than it is with a team like the Bucks um, or a team like the Chiefs that we just talked about, where it, at that point it's pick your poison. You can't double everybody. Um, you have to double Adams because, you know, are you going to leave... Marquez Valdez Scantling one on one. Yeah, you probably are. 
Does that mean Rodgers isn't going to hit him on the fingertips for a 50-yard touchdown? It doesn't, because that's the kind of thing that Aaron Rodgers does. But So it's going to be a fascinating game. Weather could be a big factor. It looks like there might be Green Bay weather in Green Bay. Um, Are we getting snow? uh, They said mixed last time I checked, but it's going to be damn Mm. cold. Um, so that can always be a thing. Um, wind was a bigger thing in Buffalo than any precipitation, right? The wind was blowing the ball all over the place. Wind in the passing game. doesn't look like it's going to be terribly windy, but boy, you get a little bit of freezing rain in the second quarter. Uh, yeah, going to be a very different game. So, uh, just a fascinating matchup. Two quarterbacks playing at extremely high levels. Um, two defenses that can play at extremely high levels. I think I'd give the edge to Tampa's defense right now. Uh, just because of that performance against the Saints, but um, going to be a really good football game. Speaking uh, of Tampa's defense, by the way, did you hear that Vita Vea might be back for this game? Uh, there was v- there was Vita Vea practice footage today, and it's a Thursday. The dude and shattered you, his ankle. <laughs> if you practice on a Thursday, it doesn't always mean you're playing, but it, it, it's more sort of a negative indicator. If you don't practice on a Thursday, you're not typically playing in the game. If you do practice on a Thursday, like... Hope springs eternal. You might play in the game. So they could get him back. I don't know how much. I don't know how well healed he is. Um, but yeah, that could make a very tough sledding for Aaron Jones in the middle of that line with Dom Kansu and Vita Vea. That was the idea is to put those twin towers in there and say you have to go somewhere else and then clean it up with the fast linebackers that they have. Um, haven't been able to see that, obviously, for a large part of the season. They've had to adjust. Uh, but that would be a change. And yes, uh, I did talk about football junkie, right? Practice footage from Tampa Bay with Vita <laughs> Vea. I was like, ooh. The the factor one in uh, in chat said Vita Vea did not play in the first Green Bay-Tampa game. You know who else didn't play in that game who's back for this one is Alan Lazard, who is a monumentally key figure in that Packers system for how they like to operate because this offense does not work as well if you don't have receivers that can block because they run so much outside zone, they run so many sweeps, they run so much crack toss. If you don't have a receiver that can block and actually give your running back a chance to get to the edge, it doesn't work. You know, half your run game's out the window and Lazard plays that role for them. He's done it for a couple of years now, not to mention also just being a, a kind of fascinatingly effective deep threat in his own right and red zone target just because of his size. <laughs> like, they only throw him to him a few times a game, but usually they go for first downs. Uh, the fact that he is back in this game is huge for them. So we're getting Vea back. We're getting Lazard back. Uh, I can't remember if Tanyan played the first time around, but that was also Devontae Adams' first, back from, first game back from injury too. So Green Bay was exceptionally beat up that first time around, not to mention the fact that Bowles just game-planned his ass off. I truly think, beyond the fact that Aaron's playing at a, as a, at a crazy level right now, I truly think that that we're going to see Green Bay uh, get their revenge this week just because I think schematically and personnel-wise and just quarterback playing at a historically good level-wise, like this is not the same Packers team as early in the year. And for as much improvement as we've seen from the Bucks. Man, the Packers are scary. I think the only team that can beat them right now is Buffalo. The only team. If they're on, it's it's 
yeah, it's just incredibly frustrating. I mean, it's amazing, and I love watching it because I'm a football fan, and seeing guys operate at that high a level, seeing guys operate at the level that Rodgers is operating at right now, as much as it pains me, uh, you know, bleeding orange and blue, I, it does, but you got to appreciate what you're seeing. You know, the, you're going to be telling your kids about the time you saw Aaron Rodgers do something because you're not going to have seen it since then. Um, going to be a fascinating game, but I'm I'm really glad that this isn't like the game we saw last week with L.A. rolling in all beat up, right? This is two teams that are punching it at the top level right now and we're going to get to see them just mash into each other and it's going to be really really fun um and the game that we're going to roll into talking about is exactly the same way as long as Mahomes can come back and and walk and move and pivot um you're going to get arguably the two best quarterbacks in the AFC going ha ha I almost said it <laughs> toe to toe <laughs> Oh Jesus! I know it's terrible. It's there. it's not a bootleg episode without a horrible dad pun from EJ. Just oh it. yeah, we gotta have it. But no, we're gonna see Josh Allen, who is playing at a masterful level with Brian Dable, who looks like he's gonna stay put, which is crazy. We'll talk about that in our coaching episode. Yeah, he turned. Just sidebar, real quick. <laughs> okay, okay, two lies. Sidebar and real quick. But yeah, he he didn't want the Eagles job. Which is interesting I, to me. Yeah, no, but Dable looks like he's going to be uh, the OC in Buffalo again. Which, if you're a Buffalo fan, you should be celebrating. Oh, it's you huge! Should be, you it's should be. Huge. You should already have gone through like three or four tables on that news alone. Um, <laughs> but, anyways, uh, we get two teams in the Bills and the Chiefs that um, both have a ton of weapons, are operating at a very high level. I would say the Bills defense has a few. Well few more options than the chiefs right now but the chiefs have those pieces that are just man they make such a huge impact when they when they do right and i think at at tight end obviously the chiefs have an advantage oh easily when it comes to receivers out of the backfield they have an advantage Diggs versus tyreek at for number one receivers a wash to me but number two through number four wide receivers specifically I gotta give it to Buffalo. Like Sammy's hurt, Mecole is fine, um, and I—I I mean, God, I, I don't think there's any just pure number one through four wide receiver core in the league that can even touch Buffalo. Like Tyreek is obviously phenomenal, but so is yeah. Diggs. So that cancels out, you know, the one advantage that KC has over most other teams is having a Tyreek Hill. Kind of the only weapon that that Casey has that that Buffalo really can't match is is Kelsey, in my opinion. Yeah, and Kelsey is a big asterisk there because he is, you know, look, we're talking about a tight end who almost led the league in receiving, not for tight ends, for the entire league. Um, yeah, that's he came within a hair's breadth of doing that, and that's nuts. Um, but did you see uh, the release point? pass chart for the entire year for the four remaining quarterbacks Mm-mm. Rogers Brady okay so there were four uh release point charts this came out today in a little quadrant and it was every pass that they've thrown during the year in a dot matrix hmm. right so Brady's looked like this 
And just Rogers, short, middle of the field. <laughs> no, this is where they were standing when they let the ball go. Oh, so within the pocket. Okay, okay, I right. got you. So Brady, Brady's looked like this. Rodgers yeah. looked like this. <laughs> you can guess what the other two looked like. Just to the edges. Mahomes and Allen were like <laughs> cloud clusters, and they looked almost identical. Um, but you're going to see, you know, they've been doing this all year. Both of these quarterbacks are big. Both of these quarterbacks are extremely mobile, move very well. Now we hope Mahomes retains that with his toe injury. Um, they throw from funny arm angles. They have incredibly powerful arms, both of them. They're both in the top five in the NFL, probably top three between the two of them. Oh, yeah, easily. And they're going to they're gonna launch it from anywhere and everywhere. So it's going to be in stark contrast to the other game. Where Rodgers will move around a little bit and throw it, Brady will not throw it outside of, like, basically between the ashes and 10 yards deep. Uh, But it's amazing that you're seeing, I don't want to say mirror image because they are different players, but so many similarities between the way Mahomes and the way Allen play. So there's going to be a really cool chess match here, but if you're Kansas City, that's what you're trying to make Buffalo do because that's getting them away from their strength, right? getting them to that second option we talked about earlier. And against Kansas City, um, I'll give you the floor on that one because trying to beat Kansas City on offense when they've got everybody clicking is uh, pick your poison. It's really difficult. Uh, Dakota Winnie in chat said that Milano is going to be on Travis Kelsey, not Edmonds, which is half true. It depends on the down and distance, and it depends on the coverage called. On early downs, they tend to... Stick to two high coverage shells, a lot of quarters, a lot of cover two. They play nickel like 90% of the time. They they stay in nickel more than any other defense in the league, mainly because they can. Uh, they have two rangy linebackers in Milano and Edmonds, so they, they feel like th- they can just kind of live in that, and that's their base. They, they really only bring in a third linebacker if it's like 21 or 22 personnel with a fullback where it screams like, we are running the football. But in early downs, it's a lot of two high shells, so they play a lot of quarters. And in quarters, since Milano is technically an outside linebacker in those coverages, he's playing the flats. So if Kelsey's running to the flat, he'll match him to the flat. If he's running over the middle, then Edmonds will match him over the middle. So it kind of depends on what the offensive play call is to see if we get Milano versus Kelsey. On third down, when they run more one-high coverages, that's when you see more man, and then we might see Milano match up with Kelsey. Maybe they'll put Hyde on him instead and then have Milano be on Clyde Edwards-Alaire out of the backfield. I'm not 100% sure which way they'll go because they can kind of do either one. Uh, or maybe they'll just blitz the shit out of him because he's a really good blitzer too. It, it's it's tough to tell. Like Their third down packages are pretty ambiguous. So I'd be curious to see how, again, how they match up this weekend. We won't really know until we watch the game. I'm sure they're going to throw some crazy stuff at Pat because uh, it's the AFC Championship. You don't want to just run your vanilla stuff that you run all year. Um, but really, you know, I did an episode on this well, like a month ago in terms of how to stop Kansas City, and that is to just stay in those two high coverages and not play the one high man-to-man stuff that they like on third down. If they just stay in quarters from first down through third down and make them run the ball, that's a win for the defense. Because just like Buffalo is terrible at running the football, so is Kansas City. They have a backup offensive line for the most part uh, that that really struggles to generate movement, just like Buffalo's offensive line struggles to generate movement. So if they're ripping off four and a half yards with Clyde, fine. That's good with me. It's better than 20 yards to Kelsey. It's better than 20 yards to Hill. 
because once they get in the red zone, they're a bottom 10 red zone offense. Again, because they can't run the ball and their only really good red zone receiver is Kelsey. So then you're bracketing Kelsey in the red zone. You know, you're sticking Trey White man-to-man on Tyreek, who's not a great jump ball receiver. Um, You know, they're not going to run the ball very well against that front from Buffalo that's been very good since Milano's gotten healthy. Like, to me, whatever. Like, let let them dink and dunk their way down the field. Let them get in the red zone and then stall out. That is the number one way to beat Kansas City. I think they're going to do that because they've gotten very good at it since their defense has gotten healthy. Uh, I actually had uh, some stats from my buddies from the uh, Rock Power Report, which is a Bills podcast. Uh, keep in mind, Milano did not play in that first matchup in Week 6, and he, since then he's gotten healthy. With and without Milano in that defense, they go from 269 pass yards a game to 211. They go from 138 rushing yards a game to 108. They go from 29.8 points allowed to 18.6, so they improve by 10 points per game. That's like 29th to second in the league, if I remember correctly, which is just absolutely insane. First downs, they go from 25 a game to 20 allowed per game. Like It is nuts, the improvement they get from Milano sliding into this system. And it's because they spend so much time in nickel. Linebacker is exceptionally important if you base out a nickel because you're playing in light boxes all the time. So... This monologue (laughs) that I've been going on forever, suffice to say, I don't think we're going to see a lot of one high man. I think they're going to stick to two deep. I think they're going to play light boxes because they have the linebackers to do it. I think they're going to force them to run. I think they're going to force them to dink and dunk their way down the field. They're going to invite them into the red zone and say, we dare you to throw it. And they're going to, honestly, they're going to hold them to probably less points than you think. And then Josh Allen is going to do Josh Allen things. it's impossible for me to pick this game, but gun to my head, I'm picking Buffalo because it's not just that Pat's injured. It's that Buffalo schematically, I think, matches up a bit better with KC this time around than they did back in week six. And on paper, again, gun to my head here. I'm, it's hard for me to pick this game. Almost impossible. I think Buffalo's got a better shot. And at least if I'm betting on the spread, it's plus two and a half for Buffalo, slam that all day. Because if they lose, whatever. At least I'm getting two and a half points, Grace. Yeah, and Edmonds is another guy. Uh, if if you watched Edmonds, Edmonds is a linebacker that Buffalo picked very high. He was their, he was their athlete at linebacker. Milano was their everything, jack of all trades, and Edmonds was going to be the guy that was going to run with, with tight ends, really athletic tight ends, even cover receivers occasionally like he did in college. Um he played like Dookie for the first half of the year. He was awful. Even when the Bills were playing very, very well, Edmonds played horribly. He was You could have put him on a milk cart, and he was terrible. Turns out, he was injured. Yeah. Found that <laughs> out in the broadcast last week, and it makes a ton of sense because he has steadily been getting better over the last month. He has showed up. He has started to make plays. He has started to make impact plays, and that is exactly why they brought him into the defense. And apparently they thought him at whatever, 75% or 80% injured, was better than whoever they had in backup. So they just kept him out there instead of giving him a couple of weeks off to heal. But you can tell that Edmonds is a very different player than he was in the beginning of the year. And that is a matchup weapon on defense. We talk about matchup weapons on offense all the time. Matchup weapon on defense, he can blitz, especially off the outside. He can cover 
uh, slot receiver that's not super fast. I wouldn't put him on Mecole Hardman, but he is ridiculously quick. He's a tremendous athlete, and he can absolutely cover Kelsey uh, because he's got size and he's got speed. Now, is Kelsey going to be able to run him off? Yeah, Kelsey ran off Denzel Ward last week, just left him staggering. Like Kelsey For a 32-year-old man that weighs 260 pounds, he is abnormally fast. It's insane. Yeah, so I'm not saying he's going to do it well or by himself all the time, but can he help out in that game? He absolutely can. And can he get you a couple of TFLs that are going to put the Chiefs behind the sticks? He can. And, you know, I hope we get to see that because he has been improving over the last four or five weeks. The first part of the season, he was a nothing. He was a zero. And I was like, man, has he regressed again, the progression being linear? Turns out he was playing with an injury and they were just kind of trying to hide him for the early part of the season. He's played through it. He's healed up to the point where he is back and making flash plays for the Bills. Uh, It's something to watch uh, in this game. I mean, the Bills are as healthy as they're going to get. I mean, going through their, their injury report. Yeah. Other than Moss, Moss would have been a really nice get for this game. But again, the the pounding run game for the bills is not what they're going to hang their hat on. So it makes a little bit less difference uh, than if it really was. I mean, in that first game, Allen was playing through a separated shoulder. Trey White was playing hurt. Feliciano, the starting right guard was not playing. Milano, as you said, was not playing. Tremaine Edwins obviously was playing hurt. Like, that team was beat the hell up in the first half of the season. And there is a reason why they are undefeated when Milano's healthy, and it's because he's that big of a difference maker. And then when you factor in Trey White's healthy now, Edmonds is healthy now, Allen's obviously healthy now, you know, in that kind of lull in the middle of the season where they went 3-3, three and three, like, it was when they were hurt. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we saw when they got healthy, they started steamrolling people again. You know, I... The Chiefs are more injured than Buffalo is right now, to say the least. I mean, for God's sake, their starting quarterback is on one foot. Their offensive line has been banged up literally the whole year. I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm never going to completely discount Pat Mahomes because he is one of the best quarterbacks I have ever seen in my entire life. But this year, so was Allen. Damn, if I have to part with 50 bucks one way... <laughs> feel a hell of a lot more comfortable doing it on buffalo just saying Man, if you got a part with 50 bucks just send it to me i mean uh, i'll take it no problem i mean only if only if you send me back a six or a dead guy because i can't i can't get i can't get dead guy yellow down here so i need oh, i desperately need that. a beer bet interesting um we'll work on that but no, both of these games this weekend if you're a football fan you're going to enjoy both of them you're going to get to see two hall of fame quarterbacks in the other game you're going to get to see two guys who, if they continue to play the way they have uh, Allen this year, and I'll just say Mahomes early in his career because he's played well since he started getting on the field, um, they're going to be in the Hall of Fame too. And what more could you want for than four teams going at it with, uh, you know, four guys that have a shot at the Hall of Fame throwing the football? Um, you know, some of you uh, might pop up in the comments and say, well, I'm a, I'm a defensive traditionalist and I want to see a 6-3 football game. You're by yourself. We, we want to see the other thing. <laughs> yeah, um, we saw Seahawks Cardinals on Sunday night one year and we decided that's enough of that. We're, yeah. We're, we're fine. We'll, we're fine. Give me- <laughs> we want to we see some, uh, some great playoff football and you really should this weekend. Uh, make some time for it. Uh, we're going to see some heroic performances on both sides. You always do. Somebody always rises in these big games because this is it. 
This is the ticket. This is what everybody plays for. A chance to go play in the Super Bowl, which some of the great players in NFL history have never gotten. So players appreciate this. It is a different level. It starts to ramp up. You get into that middle third quarter and guys are either feeling it slip away or getting a little bit closer and everybody knuckles down. So it's going to be really, really interesting uh, to see how that goes. So, Yeah, I, I think we are we are in store for one of the better championship Sundays we've had in a while. I truly can't wait to see it. I don't I don't know what I'm going to be uh, cooking up or drinking yet. I, I got to come up with my game day menu. Maybe I'll do like a tri-tip or a brisket or something like that. But either way, I'm going to I'm going to be starting that cook bright and early cuz I think this is going to be a a football weekend for the ages to say the least. I'm super excited. Again, thank you to everybody who uh, watched the live stream live with us tonight. Thank you to everybody who listens in podcast format. Thank you to Purple for sponsoring us and helping us to keep the dream alive. Uh, again, appreciate everybody who makes this show possible. Uh, I, I really hope you guys have a great football weekend. It's amazing to me that we made it through this season. It really is. I, I If you asked me six months ago if we'd be here talking about an actual functional championship Sunday, I would have thought you were crazy. And here yeah, we are. On it's, time, right? On That's time. On time. It's It's no. been a hell of a ride. So thank you to everybody for sticking with us. Uh, we will be back next week on Tuesday for the first of our three straight uh, Senior Bowl streams. And then we'll probably do the Super Bowl preview stream the week after that, I'm assuming, because we'll need some time to kind of get some stats and tape study done, yada, yada, yada. So next week will be all Senior Bowl stuff. We'll have three streams. Uh, check our Twitters for that. Keep an eye on the Bootleg Football Podcast YouTube channel for that. And we'll see you guys back here on Tuesday. Enjoy. Till then, later. wondered how to say good morning in Italian or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.